Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. We're going to be reading Jeremiah, Jeremiah 50, uh, continuing in the study we've we've been doing in in this chapter. This is study number 22. And we'll read Jeremiah 50, verse 40, that says, As God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and the neighbor cities thereof, saith Jehovah, so shall no man abide there, neither shall any son of man dwell therein. And it's it's speaking of Babylon, and God is uh, comparing the fall of Babylon to the overthrow of, of Sodom and Gomorrah and the neighbor cities. And he, he doesn't do it just here, but also in Isaiah 13. If we go to Isaiah chapter 13, we read in verse 1, the burden of Babylon, which Isaiah the son of Amos did see. And then um, down in verse 9, Behold, the day of Jehovah cometh, cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in his going forth, and the moon shall not cause their light to shine. And I will punish the world for their evil, and the wicked for their iniquity, and I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease, and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible." Now, what's that describing? What's it talking about? From verse 9 through 11, Judgment Day. It, it's, it's Verse 9 says the day of Jehovah. Verse 10, the stars of heaven shall not give their light, which we know from other verses happens immediately after the tribulation. Verse 11 is very clear. I will punish the world for their evil, the wicked for their iniquity. So in those three verses, and it it continues in verse 13, Therefore I will shake the heavens and the earth shall remove out of her place in the wrath of Jehovah of hosts and the day of his fierce anger. Is there any doubt that's describing judgment day? Why is it the burden of Babylon? The first verse of Isaiah 13 said the burden of Babylon, which Isaiah the son of Amos did see. Because Babylon typifies the world, the kingdom of Satan. And so God then talks about judging the world at the time of the end. And if you would continue to reading, all of a sudden, um, from I will shake the heavens and the earth shall remove and so forth in verse 13. All of a sudden we read in verse 15, everyone that is found shall be thrust through. Everyone joined unto them shall fall by the sword, which is language describing the taking of a city like Babylon. When an enemy would take a city, they would use their sword to start killing people. Verse 16, their children also shall be dashed to pieces before their eyes. Their houses shall be spoiled and their wives ravished. All things that happen when a city is sacked and the enemy takes the city. And verse 17, Behold, I will stir up the Medes against them, which shall not regard silver, 
And as for gold, they shall not delight in it. Their, their bows also shall dash the young men to pieces, and they shall have no pity on the fruit of the womb. Their eyes shall not spare children. Now the, the Medes suddenly come into view, and we're familiar, I'm most familiar with the Medes and the Persians. They're, they go hand in hand. So the Medes and the Persians are the army that is destroying the city, that's killing the people, that's ravaging the wives, taking the spoil, and having no mercy on the fruit of the womb and not sparing children. The Medes are doing that. Why? Why are the Medes in view when God is talking about the end of the world, judgment day, Well, because it's the burden of Babylon, the burden of Babylon. And historically, who conquered Babylon? The Medes and the Persians. And when did that happen? When did the Medes and Persians conquer Babylon? At the end of the 70 years, at exactly the end of that 70 year period, which typified the Great Tribulation, then Cyrus took the kingdom. We're also known as Darius, who is a type of Christ. God says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, my anointed. And they took it in a night. Remember in uh, Daniel 5, uh, the king of Babylon was having a party with his lords. And they were drinking from the cups uh, of gold and silver from the house of God. And then he saw the writing on the wall and Daniel was called. And in order to interpret the writing, and the king offered Daniel the third um, in command of the kingdom. And Daniel said, uh, that's all right. I'll, I'll explain the writing to you. you. You keep your gifts. Probably one of the reasons for that is the explanation included the information that that very night the king would be killed and the kingdom taken. And so Babylon was taken unaware like a thief in the night. Cyrus came and they, they were having a party and that same night. So there was no watchmen that were blowing the trumpet, warning them of the approach of the Medes and the Persians. It, it, it does picture judgment day that came on May 21, 2011 in a spiritual way. But But the point is that the Medes and the Persians conquered Babylon and God mixes the, he throws in the Medes and their swords and, and destroying the city and uh, not sparing any children, uh, not even on the fruit of the womb, no mercy, no mercy for anybody of the Babylonians. He just throws that together with the day of the Lord with the darkened sun, with the language of punishing the world, and and so forth. And, and it does mix together perfectly once we understand that Babylon is a figure of the kingdom of Satan of this world. And the end of 70 years, God judges Babylon. He judges the world at the end of the Great Tribulation. And then it says in verse 19 of Isaiah 13, And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldees' excellency, shall be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. 
It shall never be inhabited, neither shall it be dwelled in from generation to generation, neither shall the Arabian pitch tent there, neither shall the shepherds make their fold there. So again, a second time, Babylon shall be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. And notice the time is judgment day. And it's a little difficult to get a read, if I can say that, on Sodom and Gomorrah because Sodom is sometimes pictured as the church. In in Revelation 11, the, the two witnesses are slain lying in the streets of the city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt. And and yet, even though Sodom can identify with the church, it also identifies with the world at the time of the final judgment. In Jude, beginning in verse 6, I'll read verses 6 and 7. It says, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So there, very clearly, God is saying, this is an example of the judgment of the great day. It's an example of eternal fire. And that helps us to understand the Bible's language uh, about uh, the fire shall not be quenched in, in some verses where we used to think it was referring to a place called hell where God would forever pour out his wrath upon sinners and they, they would suffer in fire uh, a, a painful death except they would never die. They would go on and on suffering. And yet Jude gives us an example of eternal fire with the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And all we have to do to understand is to ask the question, is Sodom and Gomorrah still burning right now? Are those cities burning or any of the cities of the plain that God destroyed? They're not burning any longer. They, they were burned by the fire and brimstone, but at some point, the fire and brimstone went out and they stopped burning. Why does God say they're an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire? Because they were destroyed by fire and destroyed forevermore. Sodom no longer exists. Gomorrah no longer exists. Adma and Zeboam no longer exist. So it was an eternal destruction by the fire. And that's the idea with God's judgment on a sinner where, uh, as it says in Second Thessalonians chapter 1, Second Thessalonians 1, I'll start in verse 7. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them. Now, that's a similar statement to Jude. They suffered the vengeance of eternal fire. And here God is uh, speaking of flaming fire taking vengeance. It's just rewording it. That know not God, 
and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. So God destroys a sinner eternally, and it's an everlasting destruction that was done out of God's wrath, and and therefore it's as though they were burned up in his fury, and, and so it's the vengeance of eternal fire. But that sinner's gone at the end. He no longer exists. Uh, he's been annihilated and destroyed. But it is an eternal destruction. Well, this, this is what Sodom and Gomorrah and the other cities are a picture of. It's an example of the final destruction of sinners that God will perform at the very end of the world when the world's destroyed by fire also. Let's go to Genesis 19. And uh, we discussed some of this last week, but I'm going to go over it again in Genesis 19, which describes the destruction of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. It says in verse 16, now I'll, I'll start reading in verse 15. And when the morning arose... Then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand, upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of his two daughters, Jehovah being merciful unto him, and they brought him forth and set him without the city. What does the hand represent in the Bible? The will. So it's, it's though God exercised his will in leading him out as, as um, the Lord Jesus would draw his people to himself through the will. God doesn't physically grab us, but he does grab us spiritually and he, um, he arrests us and, and moves within us to will and do of his good pleasure. And then it says in verse 17, and it came to pass when they had brought them forth abroad, that he said, Escape for thy life. Look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. And Lot said unto them, O not so, my Lord. Behold now, thy servant has found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou hast showed unto me in saving my life. And I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me and I die. Behold now, this city is near to flee unto, and it is a little one. Oh, let me escape thither. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said unto him, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, that I will not overthrow this city for the which thou hast spoken. Haste thee, escape thither, for I cannot do anything till thou become thither. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun was risen upon the earth when Lot entered into Zoar. Then Jehovah rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from Jehovah out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. Well, uh, we, we discussed this last Sunday in our online fellowship, 
But just to review, Lot is called the righteous one in um, 2 Peter 2. And he's a picture of the elect. And God can do nothing until Lot enters into Zoar. And Lot can also be a picture of Christ or as well the body of Christ, the believers, because Lot intercedes. He he requests of God that this little city Zoar be spared because Zoar was a city of the plain. There were five cities of the plain. There was Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboam, and Zoar. And Zoar means a little one. And um, back in Genesis 14, we, we had a war. There were four kings coming against five. And verse 2 of Genesis 14 lists uh, the five kings that these made war with Bera, king of Sodom, with Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, and uh, Shemeber, king of Zeboam, and the king of Bela, which is Zoar. So those are the five cities. They probably were closely grouped together in the plain of Jordan. And the plain of Jordan remained a place within the land of Canaan even after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. These five cities would have been in the plain and God was going to destroy all five. They were all equally guilty. There was nothing special about Zoar. They, they had probably committed the same sins as the other cities. The fire and brimstone was to destroy all the cities, but Lot, the righteous one, interceded on behalf of Zoar that God might spare Zoar, and God does. As it says in verse 21, he said unto him, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, that I will not overthrow this city for the which thou hast spoken. Haste thee, escape thither, for I cannot do anything till thou become thither. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. So we can see how Zoar would be a representation of the elect. And here we are dwelling in the world of 7 billion plus at this time. And it's God's plan to destroy sinners because of their sin. And and we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is nothing special about us compared to anyone else except for God's own purpose. And according to his plan, he determined to spare certain ones. Who did he determine to spare? The greatest city? The biggest city? No, he he decided to save a remnant. He determined to save just a few. Many are called, but few are chosen. Just a few people out of the whole of mankind. And and yet these people should be destroyed like everybody else. But since the Lord Jesus Christ prays, intercedes to the Father on behalf of these elect, and he spares them so that none of these will be destroyed. And and so God, though, cannot bring that final destruction. He cannot pour out his wrath until Lot enters Zoar. 
because Lot is a picture of the body of believers, and Zoar is where there's safety, where there's salvation. That's the city not going to be destroyed. Therefore, Lot must get into Zoar. God says, I can do nothing. I cannot do anything. Remember, he's not willing that any should perish, any of his elect people. Not any people in general, but any of those people predestinated to salvation from the foundation of the world. God is not willing that any of them should perish. So he holds off. It's his intent to destroy these cities of the plain, but he holds off for for Lot's sake. And, And besides Lot pleading with God about Zoar, even before that, back in Genesis 18, Who's pleading for Lot? Abraham's pleading for Lot. But he doesn't mention Lot by name that, that, that I recall. Uh, in, in Genesis 18, it says in verse 23 of Genesis 18, And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy... Not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are therein. That be far from thee to do after this manner to slay the righteous with the wicked and that the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And Jehovah said, if I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. And Abraham answered and said, behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Peradventure, there shall lack five of the fifty righteous. Wilt thou destroy all the city for lack of five? And he said, If I find forty and five, I will not destroy it. And he spake unto him yet again, and said, Peradventure, there shall be forty found there. And he said, I will not do it for forty's sake. And he said unto him, Oh, let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak peradventure there shall 30 be found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. Peradventure there shall be 20 found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for 20's sake. And he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak yet but this once peradventure 10 shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for 10's sake. And Jehovah went his way as soon as he had left communing with Abraham, and Abraham returned unto his place. First, Abraham is interceding for 50 righteous, but then he realizes this is Sodom. How about 40 and 5? It must be pressing on his mind. This is Sodom. 40, 30, 30. It's interesting how it goes 50, then 45, then every other number is by tens. 40, 30, 20. 10 and the the space from the beginning number of 50 to the concluding number of 10 is 40 so there there's the number of trial and testing and and abraham is pleading for the righteous because he's thinking of lot the righteous one and notice it didn't get down to one no the the last number mentioned was 10 There wasn't 10 righteous people in Sodom. How many righteous people in Sodom was there that we know of? One. Lot. 
Lot is the only one, perhaps his two daughters, it, it seems unlikely, but but definitely the Bible lets us know Lot was righteous. Uh, I, I've mentioned it. Let's prove that in Second Peter, Second Peter two, and um, verse six. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot. It doesn't mean just Lot. It means just as in a righteous man, just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Notice how the Lord emphasizes his righteousness. Because Abraham's interceding for the righteous in Sodom and and. And then the Lord goes after 10 and Abraham, uh, well, we don't know what he was thinking. I, I, I suppose, uh, <laughs> no, we'll, we'll just leave it at that, that uh, if only I could have said one righteous man, I don't know. Uh, he, uh, we, we don't know that. But Abraham, who is a picture of God the Father at times, like in um, a parable in Luke, where Lazarus goes into Abraham's bosom. Abraham's a type and figure of God the Father, God himself, pleading within the Godhead for these righteous ones, but they don't exist. There's not 50 or 40 or 30 or 20 or 10. There's only one. And and so God doesn't spare the city, but he spares the righteous individual. He spares Lot by bringing him out of the city. And then uh, back in Genesis 19, we read in verse 24, Then Jehovah reigned upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from Jehovah out of heaven. This is after Lot enters into Zoar, which we could understand to be after the last of the elect become saved. Then immediately uh, it's judgment day. The great multitude were saved out of great tribulation, then the great tribulation ends, and the sun is darkened. And he overthrew those cities, and all the plain, and all the inhabitants of the cities, and that which grew upon the ground. But his wife looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. Now, it's sorrowful to hear people talk about going back to church. It is extremely sorrowful because that is nothing but looking back. And Robert made a good point. We're going back to Egypt. You know, God, God said in Matthew 24, in Matthew 24, in um, uh, verse 17, and this is in the midst of the discussion of the end of the church age, it says, let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house, neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. So don't go down into the house, which would represent the church, and don't come out of the field and return back to get your clothes, as in your covering. Oh, I, I need to go back to the church to to make sure that I'm all right with God, uh, that that I have salvation. I have to 
partake of the Lord's table or I have to be baptized or, or I just have to be um, under the hearing of the gospel. Well, that's going back to get another covering. The child of God does not need that. God uh, is finished with the church and we, the people of God, are finished with the church. We don't give it a thought. We don't think about it at all. And if we are, it's just like any other sin. It's like a drunk who wants to go back to the bar. Why not go back to the bar? Hey, you can have good company there. You can have a lot of friends around you. You won't be so lonely if you go into the bar. And and you can sit down with with all these people. No, the believer doesn't go back to the bar. We, we don't uh, go into that kind of environment ever again because God has delivered us from it. Well, in Genesis 19, Lot's wife looked back. She became a pillar of salt. And then in verse 27, And Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before Jehovah. Here's Abraham again. We know he was very interested in what was going to happen to Sodom. And he looked towards Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain and beheld and lo, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in the which Lot dwelt. So the Lord heard Abraham's prayer on behalf of Lot, delivering the righteous one from Sodom. And and that's a picture of God's salvation of his elect as God saves them all before bringing about judgment day. Now, notice that God says at least a couple of times in verse 25, he overthrew those cities and all the plain. In verse 28, he looked towards Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain. And beheld, and lo, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. Now, if five cities were in the land of the plain, and four were destroyed with fire and brimstone from heaven, what do you think the condition of the fifth city would be? If you're in Zoar, a little city, and I, I, maybe it's sort of like uh, little barrows. You know, I, I live in Darby Barrow. You go a few blocks, you're in Yaden. You go a few blocks more, you're in Lansdowne. And and they're Collingdale over here. It's very closely packed in all these little towns and barrows. And, and there was probably some distance between these cities. But when fire and brimstone has destroyed four neighboring cities and you're in Zoar, then then you're going to see a lot of smoke. Abraham, who's at a distance, got up early in the morning and he could see the smoke from a, from afar away. So Lot and his two daughters, and as far as we know, his, his wife was alive for a period of time in Zoar. They must have been just overtaken by the smoke. God didn't destroy Zoar. He didn't kill the people of Zoar. The fire and brimstone didn't kill them. But it doesn't mean that they weren't impacted by the falling fire and brimstone, by the smoke of the judgment. 
it's significant that God didn't save or deliver Lot out of Sodom and take him to a distant country where he wouldn't uh, experience these things. But he was left right in the midst of the plain. All around was fire and brimstone burning, destroying everybody else except for that little city that must have been engulfed with smoke itself. Look at verse 30 of Genesis 19. And Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelled in the mountain and his two daughters with him, for he feared to dwell in Zoar. He feared to dwell there. Why would you fear to dwell there? Well, any way you look, maybe you look to the north and there's a burning city and you look to the south and there's a burning city. It could have been all around Zoar, the destruction by the wrath of God of fire and brimstone was everywhere. And certainly the smoke would have made life in Zoar very uncomfortable and difficult. And and so we can see why he feared to dwell in Zoar, and then he goes to the mountain. Now, then God gets into another picture uh, that I don't understand with with Lot and his daughters going to the mountain, and and we know that um, well we can we can maybe learn a little bit of something in verse thirty one. The firstborn said unto the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man in the earth to come in unto us after the manner of all the earth. So that can only testify to the destruction that they've witnessed. And and when they look down from that mountain, they see fire and brimstone burning and tremendous smoke. But what the spiritual picture is, I'm not sure. But I, I think we can understand the spiritual picture of why... God allowed Lot and his family to enter into Zoar after the fire and brimstone fell and to remain in the place where there would have been a tremendous amount of smoke. I think we all can see that picture because where are God's people today? Did God rapture his people out of the world, remove us from being touched by the judgment of mankind? He didn't do that. He left us in the world, living on the earth to experience judgment day. And just as Lot was left in the land of the plain, and their faces were probably black with soot. Remember when when um, the tower fell with the terrorist attack in 9-11 and, and the destruction of that act, uh, people were covered with um, with ashes and soot. They were just completely covered, even though where they were wasn't destroyed, but it happened nearby. And that smoke and dust, it, it carried to them. And, and so they could have been covered with soot. They could have been coughing from the smoke, experiencing everything of the judgment of God falling on the neighbor cities except the actual destruction. Just like the people of God are alive on the earth now and we're experiencing what everybody else is experiencing. God shut the door on the world and and we're in the world 
this is where we're living and all the the uh, removal of the gospel lights well it was a removal of the gospel lights for the believers too it doesn't but it doesn't destroy us it doesn't harm us because god has already had mercy and he's already saved us well uh, that's just an interesting um, thing that i never noticed before concerning lot dwelling in zoar now let's go to revelation 14 revelation 14 and it says in verse 8 and there followed another angel saying babylon is fallen is fallen that great city because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication now god twice linked the fall of babylon to sodom and gomorrah in jeremiah 50 and verse 40 in our verse as sodom and gomorrah and the neighbor cities were destroyed and in isaiah 13 in verse 19 god speaking of the judgment on the world and babylon and then he speaks of sodom and gomorrah and here we read babylon is fallen and it, it's similar picture to the destruction of sodom and then it says in verse 9 and the third angel followed them saying with a loud voice if any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of god which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever and they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast in his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name babylon falls and then we read of fire and brimstone fire and brimstone because it's the similar picture to sodom and gomorrah and god pours out and torments the unsaved with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels who are they who are they what what's another word for angels messengers the holy messengers and and god um sent forth his people with the gospel and we were messengers of the gospel the lord jesus is the chief messenger but he's mentioned as the lamb so he's not in view the spiritual fire and brimstone of judgment day that the lord is describing in revelation 14:10 is being poured out in the presence of the holy messengers just as the actual historical fire and brimstone was poured out in the presence of lot he he was right there he he could see it coming down and likewise god has been judging the world spiritually with fire and brimstone since may 21 2011 and he has left his people here and i think he's told us that was his plan all along uh, through little statements like this in the presence of the lamb notice verse 10 speaks of fire and brimstone in the presence of the the holy messengers verse 11 the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever and then verse 12 here is the patience of the saints here are they that keep the commandments of god and the faith of jesus 
Now, what are they doing there? What are they doing there? Here, where? Babylon's full, fire and brimstone falling from heaven, torment. Here is the patience and faith of the saints. In this context, what follows? Well, then, if you read the following verses to help explain why that might be there, and I know some people, they would desperately want to find another reason for that kind of statement to be there than God actually leaving his people on the earth in the day of judgment. They, they might want to search the following verses, but they're going to offer no help because from verse 14 through verse 20, it's the Lord Jesus Christ putting in the sickle in the day of judgment. So you have verse 9, verse 10, verse 11, the wrath of God and judgment day, the following verses, harvest of judgment day, and right in the middle, here, and the word here means here. It means here, in this place. Here is the patience of the saints. And we know why the Lord is telling us that. As Robert mentioned earlier, after you have done the will of God, you have need of patience. In your patience, possess ye your soul. And if you are impatient, if you lack patience, you will not endure to the end. You will be like Lot's wife and you will look back. You will go back to the church You'll go back to the world. You'll go back to former doctrines because you're not a righteous one. You're not a true child of God. And But the true believers, the true elect, the true worshipers, and you know, um, some people, they always wonder, why do you say true believers? Well, in John 4, Jesus, in speaking to a Samaritan woman says the true worshipers the true worshipers even god himself makes that distinction you have all kinds of worshipers then you have the true worshipers the true believers will endure to the end because their patience is the lord jesus christ their faith is the lord jesus christ and they will through the lord jesus christ be carried until the conclusion of this matter, until they they faithfully endure the the testing program that God has set up. All right, let's go to Lamentations four. Lamentations four, and I don't think we're going to get to a lot of other things I wanted to talk about, but Lamentations four um, is a verse that mentions Sodom and Gomorrah. Or Sodom. And it says, For the punishment of the iniquity of the daughter of my people is greater than the punishment of the sin of Sodom that was overthrown as in a moment and no hand stayed on her. Now here God is speaking of Judah and comparing the punishment of Judah, which would represent, typify the church, with the punishment of Sodom. And the punishment of Judah is greater pointing to more stripes being meted out to those that knew the will of God to the churches and less to uh, the world which Sodom here 
would represent. And, and notice it's also overthrown in a moment. There's that phrase again, um, in a moment that represents the entire duration of Judgment Day. You can look at Isaiah 26.20 to see how it's used concerning uh, God hiding his people uh, while he pours out his indignation in the, in the time of judgment. Well, uh, we'll stop here. Uh, Lord willing, next time we'll look at the word overthrow. Hmm? Six. Uh, we'll, we'll look at the word overthrow next time, which is Strong's number 2015. And it, it uh, takes us to some interesting verses. All right, let's stop here and close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for uh, your, your strength, your, uh, your constant help, your constant presence. We thank you that you never leave nor forsake us and that you're always with your people. We pray that you would bless your word to our hearts. Help us today. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof, and this is your holy day, the Sunday Sabbath. We pray that you would help us to spend it in a good way, in a proper way, involved in spiritual things. We we ask that you would um, be with us the rest of the week and help us in all things, in, in our home, in our neighborhoods, and work or, or whatever we're doing. May we do it heartily as to you and not to man. And uh, we, we pray, Father, we might glorify you in the fire, that we would uh, live a life that is God-glorifying and that brings you honor. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.